podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love your propane grill? Well, life just got a little easier with Propane Taxi. Stop lugging that tank. Propane Taxi is a propane grill tank home delivery service that's ridiculously easy and convenient. Just go online, choose a delivery date, and Propane Taxi delivers grill tanks straight to your door. You can exchange any brand of tank. And right now, new customers get their first tank exchange for $10 with promo code TANK10. That's $10 for your first tank exchange with promo code TANK10. Visit PropaneTaxi.com. No contact no commitment no problem two days only this friday and saturday earn a 25 cent hyvee fuel saver discount for every 50 dollars you spend the more you spend the more you save spend 100 get 50 cents off per gallon of gas 150 get you 75 cents off per gallon and spend 200 and save a dollar per gallon of gas get a 25 cent fuel saver for every 50 dollars you spend this friday and saturday only at high beat. It's the last Monday of 2013 and Dominic has buggered off back up the Puglia Mountains with his Christmas cheer in tow. We're completely confused and have no idea what's going on, Ted. So let's just get on with kicking Glenn Johnson up the arse and have a nice cup of tea. It's the Day Trippers. This week we're back with another bumper edition packed with trippery goodness. We have an exclusive interview with former star defender Rob Jones in which we ask him about his time at LFC. We review yesterday's match in the City game. Later we turn our thoughts to Hull City on Wednesday in the FA Cup first round match with Oldham at the weekend. We round out with your questions as ever and we announce the winner of the signed Guillaume Balaguer Messi autobiography. Finally, we'll announce our competition to win two tickets to the Anatomy of Liverpool Night in Dublin on January 12th in the Sugar Club. Right, before the latex gloves get donned and the gory autopsy unpleasantness commences, we move on to our right-backs in our worst all-time Liverpool eleven feature. Given his current rate of regression, our current number two may be even featuring the lad's thinking here, so I'm going to start with Andy and ask you who your shout for worst ever right full-back is. Yeah, well, you know yourself, when going with sort of the best worst. <laughs> yes, uh, I do, yes, yeah. <laughs> so the, the next uh, player in my... Um, Bruno Che Real Appreciation Squad. <laughs> uh, and for a kind of a different reason than normal, it's just a couple of players were trying to shift their very own Steve Finnan out of squad, out of team over the years. So I'm going to, it's a toss up between Crom Camp and Hosmi. So I'm going to go for uh, Hosmi. Excellent. And would you like to just give a specific reason apart from the fact that he was uh, elbowing Stevie out of the way? No, that's that's the main that's reason. The main, that's and good, and that being shit as well. That works. Yeah. Floody, your shout. Um, I was going to go something along the same lines as Andy there. Cronkamp uh, and Hossamie were two absolute stockings at rifle. Uh, but I'm going to go with a guy who was actually made of paper bags, and that's Philip Deegan. Um, he was constantly injured, and he's just an absolute skid mark on the underpants of Liverpool fullbacks. 
That's beautiful. That's beautiful imagery. That's why people listen here. Like, I think he, he, he was come out one day that he was fit. He was actually fit. And then he got injured and didn't even play. Like, how is that possible? <laughs> how is it possible? So, Deegan for me. For you, Philip Deegan. Okay, um, let's see. James, who would your shout be? Well, um, it was left-backs, wasn't it, last week? And yes. uh, you're sport for fucking choice when it comes to bad Liverpool left-backs. We, did, yes. we didn't generally have good left-backs when we were sort of, you know, really, really good in the 70s and 80s. It was, but, I mean, and I was thinking, um, it's much harder with right-backs, but then a couple of people have mentioned Hossamy and Philip Dagan. Mm. Um, I mean, Dagan's a funny one, actually, because I always thought he was quite good with the ball. It's just he wasn't <laughs> fit very often to actually kind of be on the ball. On and when the ball, he wasn't, yeah. he just had no concept whatsoever of actually playing as part of a back four. He just chased the ball. Um, I thought about saying Skirtle when he actually played at right back against Middlesbrough. He played, I think he's played three times for us at right back. He did what, quite well once in a home win against Bolton. Um, and then he played the next game at right back due to injuries and got sent off at Spurs. Mm-hmm. But I'll probably go with Dagan, I think, because he was just a bit of a... He, he, he was kind of a cult shit signing, I think. A cult shit signing, that's beautiful. <laughs> uh, we're, we're on a roll here. Phil, who would you go with? Most of our recent right-back signings, like the likes of Cronkamp and Hossamy and stuff, are shite. Um, it's hard to pass the two of them. Um, I was struggling, I was, I was trying to think of, of, of right-backs. We, we've been... Decent enough up until recently. Um, like as we've mentioned there, that Glenn Johnson is getting fast approaching shit status. You know he, he's done well for I'd say eighty percent of his time at Liverpool, but he has been injury prone, and he's lost the head recently. But yeah, it, it, you're talking about fellas who came with reputations and who failed miserably when they arrived here. Um, and Cronkamp was talked up a lot by Rafa when he arrived. He he, he came in from Spain and the whole lot. And um, he was saying, oh, you know, he, he's capable of taking Finnan's jersey. The, the fact was that every time they tried to replace Finnan, the, the player they brought in was a miserable comparison to, to the actual player himself. I think Cronkamp, it was a six months he lasted. It was one of the, the, the standard loan deals that we do at the moment. So, um, oh yeah, Cronkamp was going in the bin for me. Now, notable notable mention for the, the likes of um, for Hasmi as well, because he was, I don't think I've ever seen a player torn as badly in my life as Hasmi when he played at right back. Yeah, well, I'm going to round it out with Hasmi, and there's one particular reason for that. It's those uh, lovely pictures of the Champions League win where he's there with his. Spanish flag sarong ruining the picture <laughs> fucking entirely that and, and John Arnaurice's stupid hat almost ruined the whole thing for me uh, ok so we're going to move on then uh, to our match review and we're joined uh, for that by Connor from the Final Third podcast uh, welcome aboard Connor. how are you doing? not too bad lads not at all excellent good to have you good to have delighted you after, delighted after our win yesterday but, um... yeah no doubt you are no doubt you are is, 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 uh, any immediate feedback for us there before we get started into our nitty gritty here well, um, but just I, I thought that it was probably Chelsea's best display of the season in the first half. I thought that they coped well with the, um, the Liverpool pressing game. And I think that the trio in behind, Samuelito, um, Willian, Oscar and Hazard were exceptional. I thought they were they were the difference makers in the first half. Um, second half, they had to grind it out a bit more, but um, delighted with the win, considering how well Liverpool have been going recently. And would you feel it was well-deserved, Connor? Yeah, I think after the initial period where Liverpool took the lead, I think Chelsea responded really well. And whereas I think that City were, or, uh, Liverpool were a little unlucky at City to not get at least a point from that game. I thought that Chelsea, in the end, probably fully deserved their victory. Um, I thought that Suarez was ineffective. Liverpool couldn't get him into the game. And I think 
when you have a player who's that good and he's you rely on him that much, that if he doesn't play well, the rest of the team are kind of the rest of the team have to up their game. And I just thought Chelsea dealt well with all of Liverpool's threats, particularly in the wide areas. As well, I thought Coutinho and Sterling didn't really get have much of an impact mm. after the initial period again. Yeah, I think that's very fair. Connor, can I can I ask it's Phil here? Listen, I'm just come just coming in on one thing, um, and I, I, I know there's been a, a lot of upset and rancor amongst the Liverpool fans around the, the comments of Mourinho after the actual game, right? But looking at the way Chelsea played, once you took the lead yesterday, would, is that the, as close as you've gotten to the Mourinho heydays of Chelsea in terms of it was, it was ruthless in, in, in executing the victory? You took the lead, and he basically then didn't allow Liverpool between between being over physical and being vicious in tackles and stuff like that. But within the, the law of the game if you know what I mean what they were able to get away with it was a real in my mind it was a real Mourinho performance by that Chelsea team and to me it was the first real Mourinho Chelsea performance since he's come back what was your, what's your thoughts on that? that? Yeah it's probably very true I think that the first half in particular I thought Chelsea could have maybe scored another before half time they looked like they were really on top as the second half wore on Liverpool dominated more in possession and Chelsea were kind of playing on the counter-attack and I think that kind of works it's it, it's different to the original Marina period because I don't think there's as many physical players mm-hmm. but I thought David Luiz in midfield played very well considering Mourinho said he wouldn't play him there and now the thing about him is he's still he's still rash in the challenge but I think he offers a lot more in terms of he gets the ball to the attacking players a lot quicker than let's say Mikel does but I do agree with you I thought that Chelsea ground out really well the, the two centre halves in particular Terry and Cahill looked really solid and they both they both watched Suarez really well Just one question before we kick into to, to, to where we're going to go with some of the Liverpool discussion but do you think the selection of Eto was primarily aimed at the type of defender Martin Skirtle is because he allows centre forwards get in front of him um, which was particularly obvious on the, the second goal and Eto's forte over the years has always been about getting in front of the centre centre forward to get to, to nick chances in around the six yard box he looked very like Eto looked like the Eto of old yesterday and I don't know how much of that was to do with Eto's performance or how much it is to do with the way Skirtle plays the actual game Yeah I think it's a little bit of both Skirtle he does seem to get caught he does seem to get caught out of in situations like that and I think it's also Eto played as well purely because I think he he's a selfless runner he, he makes like he does it the unseen side of the game in terms of he works hard, he presses and he also he seems to link up well with the three creative players in behind. But I do agree, I think Skirtle I think Skirtle at times he gets caught out very easy in positions like that. And I'm not sure if it's a lack of pace or if it's a lack of uh, reading the game right but he does seem to get caught out in positions like that well that's quite enough upbeat Chelsea talk for one moment <laughs> um, <coughs> if you will uh, indulge us now uh, Connor, maybe in joining this Liverpool centric uh, moaning that we're going to do for a while be interested to hear, hear what you have to say as we go through it we're going to start yeah. off by looking at the centre backs it is on paper at least our deepest squad position and yet Rodgers can't seem to get a partnership that suits him or that suits us James Owens what are your thoughts on this well, I think there's a lot of us for probably months now have been wondering why we never at any point saw Torre and Sacco. And that obviously, for a couple of months at least, is, is out of the window now because Sacco obviously pulled up with his hamstring at the end and is, is possibly out for up to two months, according to reports. Mm-hmm. But I mean, in terms of um, the partnership, my looking at it on paper, and look, we, we, none of us have ever got the knowledge that a manager's got working with players, you know, on the training pitch, seeing how they combine in training, you know, and even understanding things like how. How a, foot, how a player's footballing English is coming along and that kind of thing when you've got players like Sacco coming in and possibly doesn't speak you know a great deal of, uh, of English and that kind of thing it shouldn't really be an issue now because it's sort of December you know but I, I look I look at Skirtland Sacco on paper and I think 
I mean, they played, they played, they they played together in Sacco's first game at Swansea, and you know that we weren't great that night. But mm. I kind of look at it and sort of wonder, well, they don't strike you as a great partnership. You've got one lad bedding in and sort of getting to grips language wise, and then you've got another who individually does some things that look quite good. But he's like that lad you play with at five aside, who you kind of does some things that look impressive defensively, but you don't want on your team because he just he exposes other people and he's kind of not good for the unit. And, and he's also not a noted, he's not noted as a kind of a, an organiser or a communicator, which when you put in another lad who's still bedding in, um, it doesn't really, it doesn't really sit well with me. And I think we were exposed by that both against City and against Chelsea, you know, Eto now at 32 and, uh, and the Grado, as well as he's done coming in, neither of them are, are absolute world beaters. And yet they, they got in behind us time and again, very easily. And Skirtle made some good recovering challenges, but I wasn't really impressed with them as a partnership. And, um, you know, we've kept very few clean sheets this season. I think it's an area where we've not really found continuity. And as I said, the thing I don't understand is why we never saw Torre and Sacco. I mean, now, presumably, Aga's going to play a lot. And, you know, I just hope Aga can play his way into form because, you know, he plays, he plays a lot of the time like he's hung over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Andy, your thoughts on that? <clears throat> no, it's just on about Skirtle there. Uh, I know we we done it to death last week about him grappling in the box and he's been doing it for ages. And it's been a long gripe of mine. But, like, over the last week, I've been reading a lot of people defend that type of defending and and actually compliment him for that he's doing a good job and we haven't got a penalty against us because of it and I think Rogers is telling him to do it and I think he's encouraging it and you know Rogers says he's in touch with referees a lot and he's always you know in touch with the FA and he was talking about that when he criticised the ref but um, maybe they've just been told that that's, that's fair game you can do it and it, it's Rogers is encouraging it, and I think it was Hargreaves said he's, that's a good way to defend. He's stopping, he's stopping uh, players in the box getting the clean headers, and uh, it was he, he shot David James down. I think it was saying it's it's terrible and this that and the other. But I mean, I I'd agree with you, Andy, on on, on in, in terms of the premise. The problem is though, the type of grappling he's doing is not stopping them getting headers in the box. He if if we just go back to the city goal and company, right? He spent so much time trying to pull the jersey instead of actually trying to put the player off the actual header. Mm. All company did was put his hand across the chest, which you can pull the jersey all you want. He, company actually got leverage off, off Skirtle's chest to push him away to actually make the header. That's basic schoolboy defending that you learn. When, when you learn to grapple with players in terms of how to get them, you don't let them get their arm across your chest because they can shove you away. You know, like, it, it, what, what annoys me about Skirtle, I, I, I do agree with the point that if that Terry has done this, and Connor, you, you probably, you've seen it as a Chelsea fan, Terry's a great man for nudging players and pulling jerseys and stuff like that in the box. And I'd even mm. say a, a, poor, a, a poor sort of version of that was Ivanovic did a very Skirtle-like movement on Suarez for the opening goal yesterday he spent his whole time trying to grab Suarez's jersey mm. and by the time although he got, got into Suarez he couldn't get a good clearance on it and it drops to Skirt and Skirt's able to put the ball into the net so I, I think I think the premise is right I think yes he, I'm sure Rogers is telling him listen get hold of something just don't get caught doing it in the box but I don't think Skirt was a great exponent of the, of the art and that's that's the big issue for me Yeah, no. Connor from, from a Chelsea perspective for you watching that defending by Liverpool and thinking uh, there's definitely a spot kicking this coming up for us but to be honest, um, while looking at it, I think the real weakness in that Liverpool defence yesterday was, for me, was Glenn Johnson because I think that Glenn Johnson is he's he's very good going forward and he does contribute a lot in the opposition half. But I think he, he far too often he's caught out in behind um, with a winger, uh, for instance Hazard coming in behind and him being out of position. I think that for Glenn Johnson. Glenn Johnson has been in the Liverpool side now three or four years I think it is and I've never been impressed with him defensively I think he gets caught out too easy by an inverted winger who comes inside he 
doesn't want to do it. He neglects his defensive duties often enough. And I think looking at it yesterday, I thought he was a real weakness. And he was the area I thought Chelsea could exploit. And he was booked yesterday and he was a couple of instances. Like, had he stayed in the pitch any longer, he might have been sent off. So I think he was the real weakness for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Floody, you had some thoughts on Glenn Johnson there, had you? Um, Glenn Johnson yesterday, uh, a lot of the time, there was one thing I, I sent it to Phil last night. When he was pressing any of the wide men, there was constantly a runner in behind him. And I think it was, it was our William and one of the lads were looking to make that run. Mm. And what was happening was Skirt was being dragged out because the midfield weren't actually picking it up. Yeah. Johnson was terrible on the ball yesterday. Defensively, I don't think he was that bad. Um, I don't Apart from the fact that he can't tackle and doesn't stop across, you mean? Yeah, but he, he did not a whole pile come down his side yesterday. Yeah. I, I, I honestly don't believe that. I, I yeah. think there was a... a I hate the, the, these heat map things that showed the amount of tackles we made yesterday. We made none. We made none in the middle of the park. No tackles in the middle yeah, of the park. Yeah, I saw, actually saw that one. Yeah, yeah and really all, interesting. Yeah, every, like, most of the tackles are, are right full or left full. Yeah. Um, so I don't think defensively Johnson was that bad yesterday. Yeah. I just think generally on the ball he wasn't great. Which is I can't believe you used the heat map. In, in I, I couldn't think of what to call it. I couldn't think of what to call it. Um, Using a heat map. <laughs> him, and, him and Flanagan are polar opposites at the moment. Like, well, Flanagan, when he was, before he got his injury. Um, Flanagan's a young kid fighting for his life to get in. Well, he wasn't close. Hey. <laughs> he's fighting for his in, life. In his heavy shorts. In his, his heavy, heavy shorts. shorts. But fighting he's, for his life. He's, he's, fighting, uh, he's fighting to get into and establish himself as a, as a Liverpool player, whereas Johnson sort of looks like he's seeing his career out. Yeah, well, he has been outstanding, hasn't he, since he came in. Uh, James Owens, your thoughts on Glenn Johnson and how he's progressing or regressing? Um, yeah, it's... You know, when he is when he is good, he's very good. But when was the last time he was consistently good? I mean, he had a terrible dip off in form at around about February last year, and he's had isolated good games since then. Um, but a lot of the time, he's just looked like he's got the wrong boots on. I mean, I remember saying on a, another podcast last, uh, at the end of last season, you know, second half the season, he played like he was coming down with CJD. I mean, <laughs> just, I mean, yeah, all, all all sort of all wise cracks aside, I mean. City, what what was going? He was just yeah. completely flat-footed. Oh, he, could, he could have equalised for yeah. us, and he was completely flat. Another another fucking thing with Johnson. And sorry, I'm, I'm getting animated here. <laughs> Go on. I'm, I'm I'm the guy's biggest fan, right? But how many times have we conceded goals because? And this happens with fullbacks. If you if you've got um, a responsibility to get beyond the ball and help the attack, there will be times where it breaks down and you get counted on. Johnson jogs back. Right, yep. he jogged Every back, time. and he was, you know, all right, I'm running slightly late here. I'd better make, I'd better pay lip service to myself of making sure I kind of do get there on time. Breaks into a half-assed jog. That's how he goes back. You should be sprinting back first minute or ninetieth. You're, you know, you're, um, you're a Premier League footballer, and, and he sprints. You know, he jogs back. It didn't help in the build up to Negredo's goal against City. We conceded a goal against Notts County in the cup, the equaliser um, at the start of the season. Podolski um, scored the, the the start of last season for Arsenal because Johnson was caught ahead of the ball. Fine, I, I don't mind him being there, but try a fucking leg to get back. Mm, yeah, well, James, I, I said I said I said the same thing to you, mate. On, um, on after the City game, that sec, the, the, the goal where they break and you look up and you see Johnson and he he, he doesn't even bother to jog, man. I wouldn't mind. He, he walks. It was like looking. We gave out about Gerard a, a few weeks ago around it, and it was just it's a fucking joke, like it, it's it's unbelievably it's it, it's piss poor. It's like oh. I'm going to have a woman's voice at this rate if I keep going on. No, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
All right, uh, let, let's move it away from Glenn a bit because he's getting a serious bin in here. Um, and have a look at the get in the fucking bin. Have a look at the substitutions. And um, this is something I wanted to talk about because it's after turning into a little bit of a, 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 foot, a separate issue. Um, we had uh, Moses and Aspas coming on against City. We, we had the Brad Smith substitution yesterday against Chelsea. Um, some people suggesting there were sort of different aspects to the decision-making there yesterday, especially in this, with the substitutions. My overall take, and the only thing I want to say is, Christ, it's lamentable, isn't it, when you look at what we have to bring on. After all the talk about progress and development and all the rest of it, when you look at the squad and when you look at the bench and you're trying to affect the game where you're 2-1 down in both situations and you bring on Moses and you bring on Aspas, uh, or you're, you're reduced to bringing on a kid who's making his debut. Andy, can I just add, you must have been absolutely doing your nut when you saw Aspas coming on there a couple of times. I know he's one of your favourites, but um, in relation to the overall substitution, the point I was trying to make about squad depth, it's lamentable, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I mean, look, uh, we had to bring on a uh, forward, like, you know, and Aspas was the only option there available. So as much as I despise the player, you know, it had to, it kind of had to be done. It, it's the other substitutions that I suppose had your uh, scratching your head, like Smith coming on. I I actually don't remember a young player coming on uh, for Liverpool like kind of doing as bad. You know, mm-hmm. I think he had about four touches or something at the ball. I, I, I think half I, an hour. Yeah, you know? I think I think it's harsh on him though as well because he he came on out of position and such a big game and like you know the, we're expecting so much and the guy is a fullback. It's easy if you come yeah. on in that position as playing in your natural position. Yeah, no, I don't want to sound like I'm having a go at the fella. It's just he's not ready. You know, and Alberto was probably the better option there. Agreed. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. I, I don't think he actually looked mentally ready. I'd, I'd say he went to that game, yes, expecting to sit on the bench and expecting mm. like, just to get kind of involved with the squad. I don't think he ever expected to come on in that game. And you could see the camera panning to him, and he went like a ghost. He was mm. literally, his whole face was straight, the blood ran his face nearly. And when he came on, he looked like he carried that onto the pitch with him as well. Mm. Like Rogers might have been thinking, a young player here, he'll go on and he'll give it loads, you know, because. Yeah, and I think I think a big question mark, and I know it's being thrown about a bit, is is has Rogers got faith in these players that that have been signed? Because I don't know, like kind of you, you probably read it as well, but we all know we we talk about the much wanted transfer committee that we have, and there's there's this is undercurrent that potentially Rogers is trying to get more power in the actual transfer committee and maybe playing um, younger players ahead of some of the signs that are made to sort of say, look, I need more I need more control over the signs because the players that you bought me aren't good enough to go in at this level. My pet peeve that I have around the actual signings again remains that as Andy said Alberto didn't get a look in we've seen Alberto in many matches he's composed he's well capable of playing I don't I don't buy this that he's not capable or ready to play in the Premiership he's more ready to play than a, a kid like Brad Smith coming on and making his debut and there's talk of roster maybe being getting a go against Hull City and I, I, I don't know we had it we're looking at the midfield in general respectable against City overwhelmed at times yesterday Allen and Henderson apparently, well, obviously carrying injuries um, at various stages in the match yesterday. So an awful lot of pressure on Lucas again. Floody, I know you've very uh, strong opinions on Lucas and his um, contribution as things are. Where, where are you on this at the moment? Um, I think everyone knows I'm a massive critic of Lucas. Um, he has grown on me in, in the last couple of years. And apparently, he, he, he seems like a decent lad, like you know, to have around the squad. But Lucas is fine in games when we're on the front foot. The yeah. Teams that we're expected to beat are teams that probably lower half the table. That we, we can get at them and we're in their half the whole time. It's yeah. fine then you can step up and we're comfortable. It's games like yesterday when we're playing top teams, uh, when, against the likes of Arsenal, against the likes of Chelsea, real top quality teams that keep the ball. Lucas has this awful habit of dropping deep. 
Yeah. Um, if you watched the first goal yesterday, <clears throat> I tweeted actually three or four passages of play. There was, I think, 20 yards between him mm. and Alan and Henderson. Mm. Now, Alan and Henderson had three men between them. Um, yeah. And Oscar then, he plays the ball and moves towards Lucas. Now, Lucas follows the ball and he doesn't bother following the run. And who ends up with the ball? It's Oscar. Yeah. Now, he's our defensive player. Now, that happened two or three times in the game. Um, the, the other one that I, I was able to get a couple of pictures William, of. William, wasn't it? It was William, yeah, yeah. it was inside. And he made the run, and he made the run to the channel, the kind of diagonal <coughs> run. <coughs> and Lucas doesn't track it again, and what he does is he backpedals into centre half, yeah, and Skirtle skir- skir- shifts out yeah. to right full. Mm. Like, th- that shouldn't be happening. Like, if a defensive midfielder, you track the runners, and at least step up with your man. Like, Alan and Henderson, they worked their socks off yesterday, but. They, look, they pressed like fuck and they were pressing. They pressed. Pressing, there was two pressing on three and Lucas wasn't pressing yeah. on, on, and that's how Chelsea looked like they had an extra man yeah. in midfield. Like, if you look at it there yesterday, David Luiz isn't a natural defensive mm. midfield player. But if you watched him, how aggressive he was, he was constantly nipping at players. He, was, he looked like he was dealing with... All Lucas did was go from left to right and he didn't want to track runners. And like that time when they broke for the first goal, um, when that, Oscar made the run, Lucas stayed and he ball-watched. We had seven players around three of them. How did he come up with possession out of that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, if Lucas tracks Oscar's run, all William has there is the possibility to play back where he's facing. I, I was a bit critical of Joe Allen on, on the fourth goal because I thought he let the man run, but it was when you showed me afterwards saying, well, actually, if Lucas comes across, a good defensive midfielder comes across and just cuts out that pass yeah. because he can't get to the actual pass, and that's what you have a defensive midfield. If you've got the, the, the one and the two, as, as Brendan calls it, that one there needs to be able to shuttle across and cut passes out and cut options out at, at, at the time that's going on. It's, it's an interesting one. That that like it can again. The, you look at the city goal and the, was it the second goal on the counter attack? Lucas is nowhere to be seen on the counter attack, and we're susceptible to that. The question that was raised: Should we be in that far advanced in, at one all in, in in a city away game, which is a good point, right? And you've got to wonder, like, as your defensive mid, you can see what's going on. You have to be aware, and you can't get sucked to the ball. As you said, he's ball watching, and he gets sucked to the ball, and then he drops off because he's not quite sure where he should be at the moment. I think he could actually play a very effective, um, snappy sort of midfielder alongside a good defensive midfielder. I don't think he's he's a great defensive midfielder at all. Just be a bit more, a bit more of a ball chaser, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I think like in that, I think it can be be harder. You know what I mean? But I just. I, I, do that well though do you think he's got the mobility to actually do that effectively rather than just get passed around and taken out of the game I mean I know that's not such a risk if you're playing with another defensive midfielder but then equally that defensive midfielder's got to be some player to actually provide a bit of incisiveness with the pass then if you're putting him with Lucas because Lucas isn't you know a a particularly sort of he's not noted for his vision or you know the quality of his pass I I thought I'll go back to the very first game of the season when we played against Stoke and I thought Gerrard played as our deepest midfielder on the day now Stoke didn't give us much right but Lucas was playing ahead of him and playing as that aggressive sort of front-footed um, centre mid and he was getting on the ball and he was playing passes. I, I think Lucas's passing ability can be underrated at times. Lucas is good on the ball, I think. And at the times he was, he has played further forward for Liverpool, like off further forward. He's played some, some nice balls and, you know, I, I think we, we don't credit him enough for that. It just so happens that most of, his, most of the football for Liverpool has been sitting very deep. But... Um, he lacks he lacks uh, the uh, aggression. Our whole midfield had no aggression yesterday, and like I heard a lot of people giving out about Mourinho. Like I admire the fella. Like win at all costs. He 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 knew what the crack was there yesterday. Just go out there and batter that midfield because they're not they're not a they're not an aggressive midfield. They want to play football, so just go out there and kick the show out of them, and then 
he just closed it out in the second half and when we tried to play football they he knows that they have enough at the back and you know on screen in the back to stop us from scoring so like it was a brilliant managerial performance by Mourinho and it our midfield three obviously just didn't suit Henderson and, Lu- and Alan were carrying injuries going into the game and needed injections to play we know Lucas isn't the most mobile <laughs> now, it, it's not that hard to kick the shite out of a midfield like that if they're all walking around at the yeah. injured like, and even coming back to Connor, you can jump in but like, even the physicality like, we're talking about this earlier on like first three minutes or first couple of minutes that, that, that leads to the goal Henderson gets crocked by, by Etu in terms of a tackle that goes on and, and your man Howard Webb fucking the, the con job pulls a yellow card out like. yeah. but you know you know, no, well, he wasn't booked. Was he not booked? No, in for no. Like, <coughs> do you remember at the end when Lucas gets tackled by Oscar and he gets up and he kind of gives him, you know, he kind of yeah. he kind of attacks him back. Liverpool should have been kind of doing that from the from the very early stages because psychologically, yeah. you know, when that tackle went in, um, there was no real response from the players. Like, and that's all I was saying. They missed Jarrah. Jarrah would have been straight over there sorting it out, you know, yeah. and. You, you just wouldn't. You just, they just wouldn't have got battered like that if Jared was playing. We've been uh, in receipt of some uh, interesting decisions, to say the least, from Messrs. Webb, Messrs. Webb and Mason, <laughs> um, follically challenged individuals, as uh, Philip is trying to point out here. Um, would you uh, think, James, that we've been um, uh, hard done by? And is it any kind of a thing to be saying at this stage? Is it just sour grapes or moaning? Or what's your thoughts on that? Um, in the last two games, I, I don't know whether it really impacted the results, but it impacted the run of the games. Um, we have been hard done by. I mean, we were recipients of, what, you know, as bad an offside call as you will see uh, <laughs> against, against, uh, against City. And I mean, the, you know, the thing with that is, I mean, we actually went on and, and scored the goal that, that, that was denied us not long after anyway. So that possibly made little, if any, difference. It's not really the point. It's just a piss poor decision. And I know, I know they happen. But it's not a marginal one. You know, any, anybody's got a right to agree, to feel aggrieved when they're on the end of a decision like that. And as for Webb yesterday, that's even worse because that is sustained. Yep. Look, I, I, I've, I've no issue with Chelsea going out and thinking, right, let's rough these up, right? Because when it comes to football, you know, my, my favourite type of football is, is a cynical Machiavellian South American who will kick anything that moves, right? I was, I was the biggest Mascarano fan going. And, uh, you know, just his nastiness is one of the things I like best about him. But, you know... You push the rules as far as you're allowed. Chelsea shouldn't have been allowed to push it as far as they were yesterday. You know, again, Eto could have gone off for a challenge inside what a minute mm. yesterday. Yeah, and you know, it just galls me a bit when you know the, the the press actually fall for Mourinho coming out and saying, "Oh, Suarez died." No, he didn't. That that was it was, it was a clear penalty. What, what you know, yeah. what Eto didn't. He was incredibly yep. lucky to get away with it, and it just fucking galls me when um, you know the, the press will talk about that. Oh, Mourinho said Suarez died. You know. Think for yourselves, guys. Right, you know, I, I, I actually look at it and, and assess whether you think that is the case, or do you think you know Mourinho might just be trying to deflect from the fact that you know Chelsea took a very physical approach and actually got away with it because just Webb, time and again, let him away with it. And you know, Webb, I thought not for the first time, not for the second, fourth or fifth time, refereeing Liverpool was piss poor yesterday. When was it? Hey lads, but to be honest, like in fairness, would you not think though, especially in the first half, that even without that physical approach, like Chelsea were well on top in terms of the quality. No, 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 and- no, I fully agree. Yeah. As I said at the start, I don't think, you know, I don't necessarily think it actually affected the results, but it doesn't make it right, you know. And again, I've, I've no issue with Chelsea particularly, t- I've no real issue with Chelsea taking that approach. If we did it and it worked for us, I'd be quite happy with it. But I, w- I would think we got away with it, you know, with the referee if, if, if the roles are reversed. So, I, I fully agree. Like, I fully agree. Howard Webb is like, I heard Webb had a shocker yesterday. Connor, um, I, I just, just, just cutting in, right? I remember sitting in, in, in the cup, um, I think it was the season before last, watching Liverpool against Stoke, and Howard Webb was reffing the game. Uh, and again, 
he allowed he allowed basically the Stoke players be as physical as they fucking wanted to be on the day, and he, he, they got away with blue mortar. And my issue is 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 Howard, Howard Webb is an incompetent referee, and I'm not saying it's it's, it's a Liverpool bias or anything. I just think the chap's incompetent. Mm. We go back to the World Cup final, and De Jong basically karate kicks Alonso in the chest, right, mm. and he, nothing is given. Remember, he gave the three yellow cards and one more cup as well. He, and he still rated as a referee. How? The chap, yeah. he, he, he reminds me so much of Graham Paul. He, him, your man, I can't remember, the, the fellow with, his, with the hair, he was suspended as a referee for a bit. They yeah, all they, they all enjoy, they all enjoy... <laughs> with the hair. The fellow with the hair. I'm just annoyed. And Lee Mason, for fuck's sake, he can make a decision as well. Sterling was like five yards inside the player when the ball was played, right? The referee is looking at it. and On both occasions, the referee is looking at it. And it's, 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 it's criminal. These, chap, these fellows are professional referees, professional referees, and they do not have to come out and answer any criticism in the paper. Yeah. The managers, Rogers comes out and criticizes Lee Mason, but he bottled talking about Howard Webb. He should have, without having to say. He's on his guard now. He, dro- he dropped the ball there, talking about Mason the way he did, and he's got a he's got a rap for it, and he, yeah. know, he knows he's in a little bit of trouble over that. But just as a matter of interest, when was Webb appointed referee for that fixture? I think they, they get appointed ten days beforehand or something, isn't it? Right. Okay. Because it would have been it would have been a right get up from uh, the FA to appoint Webb for that fixture after. Because these these refs are supposed to be given big games on merit and their performance and that. How was how was Webb rated so high? On, I mean, to be that's, honest, that's I think inexcusable. Like. I think it's the whole fact that they they talk him as oh England. He's because he's referee the World Cup final. It's oh he's England's best referee, and it's kind of I think everyone just. Uh, the, the media just kind of makes a general assumption that he is England's top referee when he's blatantly not. But if you look at it, there's the standard officiating in the Premier League is is really poor. Like there's Kevin Friend is another one that comes to mind. He's a poor, poor referee, and um, these referees in games they tend to I don't know what it is, but they tend to pick one side. And as the game goes on, it seems that they're just in favour of this side the whole match. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I actually felt that way. I think it's, there's plenty of poor referees, you know? Yeah, I felt referees, he was given... Referees ref context instead of ref mm. in a match. They just... Uh, what annoys mm. me is that so many of them enjoy the lim- seem to enjoy the limelight and like to have the a game focus around them instead of being referees should be invisible to the game we shouldn't know what referees names are that's the fucking annoying thing in mm. reality I don't want to t- know who, who's refing the match all I want them to do is be an automaton and call things the right way without context but just on the laws of the game and yeah, that's what they I do, want they do try and control the game more than they should be in their remit uh, what, I, what I couldn't get, get about the decision not to give that penalty was He's so close to the incident, and then he's looking and pointing. What could he possibly be pointing and saying? What, what's he saying? Like, like it, it, it's it's clear as day. Edo yeah. takes out Suarez, right yeah. off the ball. It's clear as day. Now, if 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 you're pointing at something, what are you saying? Stop diving. Stop when when your man hits. Nah, I can't be a dive. He would have been booked. That's but that, that's yeah. that's the thing. What the yeah. fuck is he saying? Anyway, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what he's saying, but um, it's it's as bad as a decision. And I'm not just biased because I'm a Liverpool fan, and it would have totally changed the result. That was that was as bad as a decision I've yeah. seen, you know. Yeah, well, that was tremendously depressing. Uh, can we thank Connor for his contribution there? Really, really uh, enjoyed having you and your opinions uh, uh, with us today, Connor. Thanks a million for that, mate. No worries, boys. Thanks, Connor. Thanks, enjoyed Connor. it very much. Thank you, man. Now we were really fortunate to get a chance to speak to a recent Liverpool great, Rob Jones, earlier today. 
Here's the interview. Interesting stuff. Uh, Rob, it's absolutely fantastic to have you uh, with us on the Day Trippers today. Let's just get straight into the questions. Your arrival at Liverpool Football Club, it's nothing short of fairy tale stuff. You were essentially plucked from the lower divisions with Dario Grady's crew by Graham Sunas uh, to play with your own idols, making an incredible yeah. debut, shutting out Ryan Giggs and, and Man United in the scoreless draw. When you look back at that now, does it feel like almost like a dream, the, the suddenness of it, the speed of the transition? You're right. I mean, yeah, I mean, it does, you know, people still talk about it now and you know and I do I mean you know I don't think it really happens now does it I mean at the time then I was playing you know fourth division football um, you know Graeme Souness uh, came to watch me uh, I think it was on the, on the, on the Wednesday night uh, when we were playing I was playing at Gresty Road and then I got the phone call on the Thursday night from Dario you know saying that you know the team that I support you know uh, was a big fan of Liverpool wanted to you know have a chat with me so I mean if that wasn't a dream come true I mean when I, I met Graham Sooners when, when I met him on the Friday you know he, he mentioned to me in the car that did I fancy playing against Manchester United on the Sunday live on telly and, and, and marking Ryan Giggs I mean you're right it, it, it felt a dream at the time and if you look back now you, you do you laugh don't you you know but you know I just remember thinking you know yeah you know he asked me would I be able to cope I said yeah you know of course I would be able to cope even though you know, I knew I was going to be very nervous. And uh, I think on the day, just got out there and just thought to myself, you know, this is your one chance. You've always wanted to play for Liverpool. It's your dream to play for Liverpool. You know, you, you messed this up. You, you know, if you can, I always felt that if I started getting worried and nervous about thinking about things that, you know, I, I messed it up. So I just went out there and, and, and played my game. And I think lucky enough, um, I got a few early touches, you know, early doors and, um, you know, and, and had a good game, and it just sort of went off from there. Then, well, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think Luke had anything to do. We were, I think everyone was so impressed with the, with the, with the, this the suddenness with which you took to to the level of football. I mean, Stephen Maneman, uh, uh, there's a reference in your book, Robbed, where he says to you that you would have been England's number one had it not been for injuries. He also had you in his all-time eleven alongside Zidane and, and everyone like that in four four two in, in a thing that I saw. Um, yeah. <laughs> When we're discussing our all-time 11s, uh, Rob, you featured uh, in the discussion quite a lot, and it, there's an awful lot of this, but for the injuries and all that kind of thing. Does that yeah. annoy you? You know, when you look back and you you had made over 240 appearances over a decade mm. at Liverpool. I mean, and for the first five seasons or so, you were pretty much ever present. I mean, does the injury yeah. thing sort of annoy you? I know what you're saying. Yeah, you know, you know, as you say, every interview that I do, <clears throat> I think the injuries always brought up, but. Again, I, it, I suppose it was a big part, you know, of my career. I mean, every time, you know, say, um, you know, when I came in for, to the Liverpool side, you know, I was playing well and, you know, um, and played for England, but then I got the shin splints and the shin splints was a, a big thing then. Um, and I think because I missed the European Championships that summer, it was making the papers quite a lot. So I think that, you know, um, you know, all the injuries that I had, there were never little, you know, hamstrings or calf injuries. It always seemed to be, you know, big, you know, big injuries, but, you know, yeah, and it's always, you know, what if, I mean, with the England career, you know, I know I got eight caps, you know, I was, you know, always great to represent the country and yeah, I would, I would have loved to have got more, but it just wasn't the case and, you know, I look at all the positives when I look back at my career and just think, as you just said, you know, 240 appearances, you know, um, you know, FA Cup winners medal, which, you know, a lot of players can play, you know, maybe 500 appearances and not, you know, get a, you know, an FA Cup medal or, 
you know, any type of medal. So yeah, you know, injuries always brought up. I understand people talking about them because, you know, it, it was a big part and obviously ended my career at 27 years of age, which again, which is a, it's a young age to finish your career, isn't it? But uh, Absolutely. But even in the early part where you were flying and your form was quite imperious and I know, you know, a lot of us remember that, that, that period very fondly in your own form in particular very fondly. I mean, just purely on form alone, do you think you should possibly have re- represented your country more in those years? Well, yeah, as you say, um, you, you'd have hoped so, but the injury every time has seemed to you know, get into the, the um, European Championship side. I mean, when Terry Venables um, uh, was looking at picking me in '96, um, I broke my vertebra. You know, I said I'd struggled for probably six to six to seven months with it. You know, carrying on playing with it, we never sussed it out. And then just as you know, I was supposed to go with the squad. You know, that happened. So, you know, you know, obviously I, I'd have got a few, a few more then. But as you say, you know, it wasn't to be, and uh, you know. That's why the injuries did play, you know, quite a big part in in my career. Sure. Well, an awful lot of us would think of you as the as the best signing of that Sunes era. Um, as fans from the outside, it seemed to start off quite well. As you say, there was a, there was a, a very enjoyable cup win uh, in '92. But yeah. th- th- there was that just it went into a bit of a spiral, didn't it? Uh, f- finishing up with, with Graham's resignation. Could you tell us yeah. in that last season what was it like in the dressing room? I mean, um, and then when Roy Evans was appointed, was it did it feel like it did for us fans? Like there was a kind of a cloud lifting, or, or um, was that just? Yeah, I mean, just, uh, yeah, I know. Like I, said, I think everyone always tries to, you know, look at something that was maybe going on in the dressing room that why the results weren't going too well. I just think it was a big transitional period when when Graham took over, and he probably say himself, like, and I've said in my book that you know, when he did come in, you know, possibly, you know, um, you know, the John Barnes and the Ian Rushes, you know, he, he could have got them say under his wing and and got them to help him, um, but he went, he just sort of went the other way, and he, you know. So he brought Mark Wright and he brought a great centre-half, an England centre-half, and, and give him the captaincy. And I think there was a few little things going on, you know, there, you know, but that you know, it wasn't Mark Wright's fault. But to be honest with you, I, you know, sort of just joined the team. I was a, a young lad and I, I sort of kept out of it all. You know, I just, I played my football. Um, but then, you know, Roy took over. Um, obviously, uh, Graham went and, and Roy took over. And then Roy was then, the young lads were sort of maturing. There were, you know, the Jamie Redknapps, uh, the Stephen Manamans and Robbie Fowlers and myself were all coming through. And, uh, and Roy just strengthened it, strengthened the team then in a, a few different areas. And, you know, we played some great football with Roy. I think we were, you know, we, we were close at, at some stage to, uh, one of the closest we've probably been to the Premier League then. Yeah. Um, it, it just seemed to be that Manchester United just seemed to be, you know, then just a lot more consistent than we were. Well, it's you mentioned some really stellar names there, guys that you would have played with, like Robbie Fowler, like Steve McManaman. Yeah. Um, you would have seen the emergence of Michael Owen, um, Jamie Carragher, yeah. Stevie, and all those kind of guys. Um, yeah. what, what, how good was it to be part of that team? As you said, a team that came certainly flirted with, with, with taking the Premier League title. How, how exciting was it to be part of that bunch? And who was it in that group that impressed you the most? Yeah. As you say, it was it was a very exciting time. You know, you, you just mentioned a couple of them. As you say, there like Stephen Manning and Robbie Fowler. Um, you know, and there's also you know John Barnes, Ian Rush. I mean, they were just you know, obviously sort of coming to their end of the Liverpool days. But you know, you know, Rushy was still scoring you know great goals and travelling you know 
Russian file, play with Russian file up front. I mean, when you say, you know, I've been asked this question before, you know, who would you, who would you pick as the best player you've played with? But, you know, I've played with that many good players, you know, like, you know, I've mentioned it there, the Fowlers, Rush, Barnes, the Manaman, you know, even the Ronnie Whelans and the uh, Steve Nichols. I mean, there's been some, you know, great players that I've, I've had the privilege to, to play with. Um, I, I always sort of say though, Steve McManaman. I mean, and I know he put me in the uh, his, his best eleven with Zidane and all that. So I've, I've got to do him a favour as well, <laughs> being a friend. But no, Steve McManaman. You know, when me and when I used to play right back there, and he was playing right midfield, and we used to bomb up and down the right hand side. I mean, they was probably the, the, one of well, the best two years I had playing was playing with him up and down there consistently before I moved to the left back role. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> that's a hell of a partnership right there. Um, yeah, I, I, it would be remiss of me if I didn't ask you. I'm sure you've been asked about this almost as much as you have about the injuries. But those games against Newcastle United, those kind of seminal matches that people remember, um, what was it yeah. like to be part of those? Was was there as much elation in the dressing room after those wins as there was amongst the fans, or was it just well, it's yeah. another league game? Or? Exactly. Well, I mean, being a fan as well, I mean, you just, you know, you, you want to win, but there's nothing better than, you know, if winning a game in the, in the last minute is, uh, you know, and uh, you know, both of those games, the, the scoring was going back and forward, wasn't it, constantly. And, yeah. uh, you know, you know, yeah, in the dressing rooms, in the dressing room at the end, yeah, it was just like probably everybody else was, you know, celebrating and, and happy. And you can imagine what it was like in the Newcastle dressing room. It would have been completely the opposite, wouldn't it? So, you know, we we were just happy with the uh, with the three points and exactly you know scoring the last minute was is unbelievable, isn't it? Both of them were great games. Sure, and with that group, with that team, you mentioned yourself the the closeness that there was to maybe league success. Um, did did you guys feel it at the time? Did you feel like it, there was there was a league title in you? I know you said it it coincided with the Ferguson era and, and United suddenly emerging as a force. But how much did that hurt as as, as a proper red wearing the jersey as well at the time? Yeah, I mean it does hurt that, as you say, um, you know, Manchester United seemed to have turned a corner hadn't they, in the nineties, and you know they had the, the David Beckham's were coming through the Neville's, the Scholes's, and that. But you know we had. You know, as you said, as I said earlier, you know, the Manamans and the Fowlers and the uh, and Jamie Redknapp and you know, players like that coming through. So I don't think we were, we were far off. Um, you know, and at times we, we played some really good football. I mean, when we meet meet up, you know, uh, see the ex-players now and then, you know, we talk you know, with Roy Evans about the, the time that he was there. And the, and sometimes you see it on LFC TV and we play some great football. It was good attacking football. And I just think... Um, we just didn't have that little bit of luck and Manchester United as I say were just they were strong they were you know they were a good team you know um, I, I, Alex Ferguson a lot of them and they just seemed to um, just just be more consistent I think like, when you look back they were just a lot more consistent than us when we did get up there we were second in the league at some stage then we had a run of you know losing a few games and mm. I don't know what it was I don't know if it was the inexperience of us or, or what but you know we, we just uh we just weren't good enough, I suppose. You've got to say that to 
to win it, to win the Premier League because you know I always say that the best teams do win the Premier League, really, don't they? So. Sure, sure. And maybe just came up that little bit short somewhere, but yeah, there was, yeah. it's just there were so many good players. It was, it was it was probably as hard for you guys to take, but certainly yeah. for the fans looking at all those wonderful players, it was hard to understand. By the end of your book, um, uh, robbed, you talk about losing your love of the game. You know, when it, when it finally comes to the end, you're not really interested yeah. in football. We spoke to to Niall Byrne in our first ever show. He spoke about the same kind of feeling. Do you think this is due to the fact that you know your career is being cut short by injury, or is it is it something that maybe most pros feel naturally, you know, just through have been have been been involved for so long as they wind down? Yeah, I think everyone must you know would take it different. I just I just felt I don't know if it was because I finished so early. I just couldn't go and watch Liverpool. I didn't really watch football on the telly. I think it was just my way of coping of. A finishing, maybe you know, um, you know. I, I just felt that if I went back to Liverpool, you know, I was I should still be then say twenty eight years of age. You still be thinking, you know, I should be there, you know, or should at least be playing football. So I did. I just lost lost the love for the games for just for I don't know how long. It, it's hard to say, but then you know, it, it does. You know, it, it come back, and you know, you know, to, you everyone know, you know, I was a Liverpool fan beforehand, and I'm a Liverpool fan now, and you know. You know, I've definitely got the buzz back now, and uh, you know it's, it's good to be back at Liverpool and, and doing a little bit now. And you know, Brendan's asked me to come back, so I've got that, you know, the, the buzz of a fan, but you know, sort of back in the club as well. So it's a good feeling at the moment. Well, that's that's something that was that's really really interesting to us guys here, um, watching you uh, being part of the, the club again. Again, at the end of your book, you talk about how you regain your love through your son Declan's interest. Yeah. He's in the academy yeah. now, uh, as you are. And, how does it feel to see your son carry on that 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 kind of Jones legacy? How do you shield him then, maybe from pressures of having yourself such a such a, a prominent ex Red as father? Yeah, I mean it's great to actually have a, a you know a son that you know plays football. I mean, I said to me, thought it doesn't matter if you, if you play for Liverpool or or what, and then you know he has no pressure on him at all, and you know he's, he goes to the academy. It's a great academy there. You know, He's 12 years of age, and I, I just say, just you know, go out there and enjoy yourself. Yeah. You know, there's, there's no pressure on them at all, and I don't put any um, pressure on him. You know, and, and that's just the way to be. I mean, you know, you know, I don't want him. I think if he felt there was pressure, he'd have to. And then my granddad played for Liverpool, but I, I didn't feel any pressure. That I had to. I think it just comes naturally. And I said to him, you know, if you work hard and if you if you're good enough, you, you know, you'll make it as a footballer. You know, you know carry on with your schoolwork and. Uh, and take it from there, really. I mean, that's all yeah. I sort of say to him. But, you know, it, it, it's been good for me the other side, as you say, you know, uh, back at the academy and trying to help the, I say, I say the young lads, you know, the under-21s, really, um, yeah, time. absolutely. I mean, it's 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 great for us when the story broke that yourself and Robbie and Maka were getting back involved in a part time capacity. Um, it was it was of such interest over here. I mean, what exactly is your role? I know it it, it was reported at the time that it's it's, it's a part time role and, and and focusing, I suppose, on your specialist area of defence. How much time is that taking up? And would you think perhaps I know you're a busy man and you've business away from football. Would you consider maybe getting involved full time in the coaching side of the academy in the future? Yeah, well, that's why it, it suited me. I mean, um, Brendan called me, um, I think it was about April, um, or this year and, uh, just, you know, mentioned we'll come and have a meeting with him. Uh, I went in there and, and he just said to me, he said, you know, um, all, all the, the clubs that he's been around, there's always ex players around. And he says, I've, I've, you know, I've come to Liverpool and, you know, there's none of the, you know, the history of the club. There's none of the ex players, you know, around the train. I know he's got Mike Marsh, but he wanted to get more around the club. So, 
he just mentioned to me and said, would, would I be interested in, in coming, you know, get involved with the, the younger lads um, at the academy and, um, you know, sort of mentor them in a, in a way. And, uh, you know, he said, you know, I, I, you know, don't worry about coaching. I mean, he doesn't, as he said to me, I'm not going to throw a bag of balls at you and say, you know, start taking the coaching session. He says, I've, I've got, I've got great coaches there, you know, in Alex Inglethorpe and he's got Neil Critchley there doing the under 18. So all, all I do, um, the same as Stephen Robbie is, you know, we'll go in when we can because I know we've all got, you know, um, work commitments outside of that. And, um, you know, go in, I uh, think Alex will take the training and uh, just help them with the defending. You know, if they're doing something right, praise them. If they're doing something wrong, you know, try and put it right for them. And it's actually just a mentoring role and it, it's worked well. I mean, I've enjoyed it and I know that the lads, uh, you know, have, have enjoyed it as well. You know, you know, you, you've got, this for the centre forwards there, you've got Robbie Fowler coming and, you know, showing you how to score goals. I mean, yeah. got, there can't be much more better than that. And, you know, Mac has enjoyed it as well. I mean, um, you know, last month, me and Steve went with the uh, under twenty ones over to Holland, and um, they played PSV Eindhoven, and so we went over there, stayed over the stayed the night, and got to know the lads a bit better, and uh, it, it was a good experience. It was a good experience. I, mean, I enjoyed it, and uh, you know, I'm sure the lads did as well. And is so there, we is, just, sorry, Rob, is there, is there much crossover there in the, in the time that that uh, yourself and Robbie and and Steve are there together? You, you mentioned the trip there with the two of you on it. Do, do, do you guys come in together or do you tend to do maybe you're in on Tuesdays looking at the defenders and Robbie's in? Is, is that the way it breaks down? Or? Yeah, well, we, we do cross out. We've, we've, we've been in a couple of times and uh, we've joined in the five-a-side because I think Robbie still wants to, <laughs> wow, <laughs> wants, yeah. to, wants to be a footballer so he's in there. And so, you know, we have that side of it as well. I mean, um, you know, I, I took a team and uh, Steve was the captain of the other team and Robbie was the captain of one of the other young lads teams and uh, you know we have a little you know five side competition and uh, sort of play against each other and have a laugh and you know get the banter back so you know I know I keep saying we're enjoying it but we are you know we've enjoyed it as well and there's a lot, lot of laughter in the academy and but serious stuff as well but you know I can see the young lads uh, coming up and definitely the next you know in between uh, you know, two to four years there's some good players coming up and you know I know that everyone doesn't get to see um, sort of the young lads coming up, but I think it's going to be exciting in the next few years. Absolutely, I, I think some of us will watch the the kids very, very closely indeed. I think an awful lot of red sea the depth of talent that we have in the underage sides there at fullback. Yeah, uh, you know we've got a, a particular interest in Ryan McLaughlin over this side. Uh, Brad Smith made his debut there against Chelsea. Andre Wisdom's been really doing well. Um, we've got Flano coming through as well with tremendous performances recently. Um, can, can you uh, maybe take any credit for this, Rob? Do you think? <laughs> No, no, I'd never take any credit for it. No, I mean, as you say, I mean, I think uh, you know, honestly, Alex and Neil, the, the coaches there, you know, they've got to take all the credit. But what I did say to the lads, I said, you know, you know, Brendan's asked um, us three to come in to try and, you know, help in any way to push it up to the first team. Uh, you know, I said, if I think if you're at Manchester City or possibly if you were at Chelsea, I don't think you'd get the chance. You know, I don't think I think they'd buy in. At least Brendan. Is you know of course he's going to buy as well and strengthen the squad, but he's also always looking at the academy, mm. you know. And I think um, it just showed, like for example yesterday, um, I know he's got a few injuries, but you know putting Brad Smith and uh, Jordan Rossiter, or Jordan Rossiter is 16 years of age, you know what I mean? Yeah. And he's, def- he's definitely a player for the future. But he's showing them, you know, um, 
if you, if you work hard and, and play well in the 21s, you know, I'm not scared to, to bring you into the first team. Yeah, absolutely, which is very encouraging for, for, for those particular guys in question. You, you just mentioned Brad Smith there. He made his debut yesterday, obviously out of position. Uh, it was a real baptism yeah. of fire for the kid. And, uh, yeah. you know, obviously, it, it, it's naturally he's going to feel a bit out of his comfort zone there. What was your take on, on that particular move by Brendan? And how much should people really, you know, take into account who he came on against and the, the conditions uh, of the match and the fact that he was out of position? Yeah, I mean, the difficult thing is there um, with, with Brad. I mean, I, I always found it as well as coming on. You know, I think if you start a game, you know, everybody's sort of on the, you know, the same like length, aren't they? You know, and you know when you're coming on with 30 minutes to go, and you know you're playing against world class players. I just thought it was, you know, I knew it'd be difficult for him. But the thing is with Brad is that he's very, very fast, and you know, and. I was watching there. I mean, he didn't get that many touches of the ball, but he worked hard back and forward. And, you know, he, he got a great touch to give it to Luis Suarez. And then uh, I think it was Cahill come and snapped him in half, didn't he, from, yeah, from behind, course, yeah. you know. But, yeah, I just think it was a good experience for him. And as I said, it, it's showing the, the other lads at the academy that Brendan will give you a chance, you know. So, um, you know, and, and Ryan McLaughlin did quite well as well in pre-season, particularly there. He got a, he got a couple of runs. Um, how? What's your opinion of, of of him as a prospect? Yeah, Ryan's brilliant as well. I mean, you know, as I said, there's there's a lot of young lads coming up. I'd like to like you know, obviously do mentioning the same names, but I think it's obviously the, the fallback situation. But Ryan is definitely, um, you know, he's great at going forward, but also can defend. Got a great engine on him. Uh, can pass the ball, so he's got everything, and uh, you know, it's a matter of time, really. I think before, you know, he, he gets a step up as well. But there, there is quite a. It's going to be difficult for them because, there's, as you say, there's a there's a few fullbacks now. You know, um, young ones, as you mentioned, like you know, Wisdom and you've got Flanagan and, and and Kelly. So you know, there's a. It's, it's going to be a, a difficult time, but um, Ryan's definitely going to be. Um, Within the next, it's hard to say, isn't it? But uh, one to two years, you know, pushing for a first team place, I think definitely. Uh, here's hoping. Uh, yourself and your wife are, are the owners of a very successful nursery business called Kids Academy. It's a franchise which is extended, I think, as far afield as the United Arab Emirates, if I'm correct. How rewarding yeah. has it been to make a success of, of a second career, essentially outside of football? And where does that rank in your own list of personal achievements, Rob? Yeah, well, it is. It is good. You know, I think. Um, you know, when you finish football, it's you know uh, a lot of players are probably tell you the same thing. What do you do? I mean, that's why a lot of players go into coaching or they go into uh, the media side of it. Um, it's just my wife was always always interested in, in childcare, so we just yeah just got into into it through then, and then you know it just sort of blossomed. We opened them in the Cheshire area uh, over in England, and then. Um, uh, the Bin Mahuda family over in Abu Dhabi. Um, they wanted the franchise over there, so you know it's going really well over there. Um, we've got three open at the moment, and uh, we've just uh, bought some of the two properties over in Dubai. So yeah, that, that's going really well. So yeah, it, it, it's a different, uh, you know, a, a different type of business than football, but uh, it's, it's enjoyable, and uh, you know we we're having a good time with that at the moment. Excellent. Just to bring it back to football-related stuff uh, to finish up, but before Christmas yes. we did our own personal favourite LFC 11s. Um, who would have been your choice uh, for right back? Um, maybe we stuck to people that we'd seen play. Uh, maybe yeah. you could do that as well. Would Steve Finnan uh, come into the reckoning, do you think? Or who would, who would have been your shout? 
Yeah, um, I mean, Steve Finnan, you know, is, is a, he, was, he was a natural right back, wasn't he? He was a great right back, natural, um, a good defender. I mean, and he was consistent. I put him sort of with the Gary Neville. I don't know if you'd appreciate that, but, <laughs> yeah. he, he, but, but, but he, he was. He was. He was always consistent, wasn't he? You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. Um, I mean, for players that I've watched over the years, I mean, uh, Phil Neal for me. Um, I know it's going back a bit longer, but you know, Phil was a, a, a natural right back and would could also you know score goals. Yeah, he liked um, the penalty. I know, I know it wasn't the Premier League, but you know he was. Uh, and the, the amount of times he played for Liverpool, I think. Phil Neal is, is the, the legends of right backs, I think, isn't he? Yeah, well, absolutely. It, it, it occurs to me at this point, uh, Rob, this may be a bit cheeky, but uh, how how did you manage to get through so many appearances without, without notching one for Liverpool? How did that happen? <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah, I know. I mean, the amount of people that say to me about the put a pound on me and they want it back now. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think I was like 50 to 1, I mean, but I think it was just that I used to get forward that much and I just it just always used to, you know, it was post, crossbar, goalie making good saves and stuff like that, but... You know, I mean, it never really bothered me. I mean, about scoring. I mean, if I could set them up and you know set a few up for Robbie Fowler, I was always happy as long as we won and got the three points. But I mean, of course, it would have been nice to score. But uh, you know, it's, it's just one of them things, I suppose, isn't it? There was, there was never any luck when I got got my shooting boots on. Well, as <laughs> as you say, when Robbie's in the team, it's, it, it takes the pressure off a little bit. Let's say, yeah. least. Listen, uh, Rob, you've been an absolute chant. It's been fantastic yeah. to, to, to have you on today. Maybe you might uh, you might join us for a point the next time you're over in Dublin. We'd be delighted no to, to, to have a chat. Um, everyone should get on Rob's book, Robbed, as quick as they can. And uh, all the best to you in the new year. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Cheers, Rob. Bye-bye. The best way for Liverpool and us to get past the distress of the last two matches is to simply look forward to the next one. Luckily, this festive season affords us the chance to do just that with two games in quick succession. So let's do our Hull and Oldham previews. We'll start off with um, something to do with the lineup. I suppose. This probably makes the most sense. So given the injuries and the likelihood of no recruits being ready by match day, what does the Liverpool team look like against Hull and Oldham? Well, let's start with Hull. Uh, Andy, what changes do you see um, being made, if any? Uh, well, uh, some have to be, obviously. Yeah, it's all injury-dependent, really. Yeah. And, you know, it, it won't look an awful lot different, as we know, Rodgers. He doesn't like to change things too much. So, it's just going to be whoever's fit, really, <laughs> gets yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's, there was some horrible stat, like something like, is it 13, 14 established seniors? Is that, is that correct? There's talk of only 15 fit senior players. Right, OK. Wow, we only need eleven. Yeah. Well, we only need eleven, unless it's a gamma. <laughs> we only need eleven, says Floody. Thanks for that, mate. So, all right, Floody, with, with your with your wonderful mathematics, then what changes are going to happen, if any? I mean, like, is is it totally uh, is it is it predictable as be Jesus or? Um, I, I, the shape won't change. That'll, that'll stay the same. I think we can all agree on that. Um, I don't. I think Gerard will be forced back into the side fairly quickly. Trained today, um, he'll come back in. Um, from start. Okay. I, I reckon he'll come back in the start. Mm-hmm. I don't think he'll start in that Oldham game. They might, they might leave him out of that. Um, but I, I reckon he'll start against Hull. So you reckon he's in instead of of, of Allen if Allen's cropped? Is that, yeah, that yeah. Think? I, I okay. think that could be a change. I'd like to see Kelly come in for Johnson. Um, we've 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 done it to death about Johnson, but mm. he does. Kelly needs to come in there, or even Flanagan if he's available. I don't know how long is he out for. As long as his injury. I don't know. It's very but but, but at least enough. Kelly or Flanagan have to come in there. Yeah. Sissoko might come back in at left full. Mm. Uh, Agar shift into centre half. Hmm. And I would like to see Torrey come in for Skirtle. Like, 
he's been involved in so many goals that we've conceded recently. Like it's not just one or two mistakes. Like he's he's two at City that he's been involved in. Um, the, the one yesterday he was involved in. The the one at West Ham. Like it's it's a catalogue of errors now from yeah. him. You know it's yeah. and he does so much good. But listen, Torre is a good player. Let, let's get him in there. Let's get him in beside Agar. And 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 that's what I'd like to see coming in anyway. Yeah. I'm going to put a bit of context back on. Just, I, I, I know we were, we were picking up on, on on the disaster of the Chelsea match, but right, I, I thought going into it, into the run of four games we had with Tottenham, Cardiff, City, and Chelsea, if we came out of that with six points, that would have been good going at the, at, at the outset. And given the run that we had beforehand, I'm not despondent. Um, in, te- in, in real terms, I'm not despondent, and I didn't expect us to win at Chelsea. And I, I said it, I said it on the pod as well, right? I thought we were, I thought an awful lot of fans were way too overconfident going into that Chelsea match, and they 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 forgot about how efficient that Mourinho can be in terms of his team selections and picking weaknesses in other teams, and being as as we pointed out, quite physical. The whole match now becomes a massive must-win for me, and yeah. we went and we fucked up the last time, and only a couple of weeks ago in Hull, we're carrying a lot of injuries. To not get three points in this game is is damaging for the morale in terms of what's gone on. Um, we must win this game regardless of who is out on the pitch on the actual day. I, I, I look at it, I still see a strong, a relatively strong eleven. if Gerrard is fit. I think, I, I think we can get around it because I think Steve Bruce comes and does what Steve Bruce always did when he came to Anfield and just park a bus and be, ha- be thankful to take a point or nick three points if he can. In much the way he set up when we went to play them in, in Hull and we, we had a bad day that day. I see us actually changing shape slightly because of the midfield situation because there's talk that Henderson may miss out or may not miss out may play with injections or whatever mm. if Henderson misses out and they rush Gerard back it means a Gerard Lucas midfield and that for me then becomes a clear 4-2-3-1 in terms of a, a setup with Moses coming in and Coutinho possibly moving into the 10 role as such and Sterling playing off, off Suarez I'm a bit confused as to how uh, Sturridge before Christmas tweeted that he was back, almost back to full fitness and we haven't heard anything since um, I'm wondering would he be rushed to be back on the bench to even give us an option off the actual bench because I think we miss him a bit in terms of in certain teams especially as, uh, for, for his impact of running the lines and creating space for other players to operate in be it Suarez or Coutinho I think Coutinho re- really struggles without Sturridge on the actual side if I was looking at the team I agree I'd start Torre and Agar Torre and Agar have the most clean sheets we've kept this year in two Yeah, if you look back to the start of the season they were kind of the pair yeah. and, and that's the only time we kept clean sheets really. yeah. and again I wouldn't be if Flanagan's not fit I'd, I'd, I'd say play Sissoko at left back now given that Agar pushes inside like he didn't do anything wrong against City I thought he, he was he was, he was was solid without being spectacular he, he gave an outlet all the time he was he was grand I was surprised that he didn't start against uh, Chelsea I know he, he may have wanted to put Agar in because of the leadership and the idea of the leadership at the back I didn't think Agar had a spectacularly bad game but he didn't have a spectacularly good game either at left full and was caught out of position a couple of times but Not he's a centre back playing at, le- at left full Um but by Jesus, we, we need to get Johnson out of the team. So if I, if I was looking at it, I'd, I'd more or less go with Kelly, Torre, Agar, Sissoko as, as the back four. You've got potentially Gerard, Luke, Lucas, Lucas and, potentially Lucas and Gerard, and then you're looking at the three of Coutinho, Moses and Sterling behind Suarez. Um, and how, how, how that turns out, I'm not quite sure. Is it a game, though, the, the whole game, that we can get Alberto win? Is it one of them games? I, I'd like to see him, but I don't think he will. What, what I'm saying to you is, I would like to see Alberto come into that midfield yeah. Yeah. rather than bringing Moses into the team because I think Alberto can do more. Well, I, I definitely don't think we can go with Lucas and Gerard side by side. There's absolutely no mobility there and it didn't work away the whole Listen, I don't, I, I'm not disagreeing with the, with, with the premise, but I think if, if Henderson is not fit to play and the only chance we have is a half-fit Steven Gerard and Lucas, then... I was going to say, Rogers has said today Henderson should be all right. 
All right then. Yeah, right yeah. then. Well then, then yeah. I'd, I'd, if, if Gerard isn't fit, like if Gerard isn't one hundred percent fit, then I'd prefer, my personal choice would be Lucas Alberto and Henderson in, 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 yeah. as a three in yeah. centre mid. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're all big fans of Alberto here. <laughs> like yeah. I don't know what we're basing it on really, <laughs> but just, we're, it, we're, in lo- we're in love with the idea that yeah. he's going to be a, a good player for us. And, if, um, if he doesn't get in now, Andy, yeah, what, I know. I mean, I, and I mean, I think he's being unfairly treated by Rogers to be honest. He hasn't got I, I, as many chances as he as he probably deserves. Yes. I mean, he will run down players as well. Like he's not afraid yep. to walk out. You know, Andy, this is going to be an unpopular shout, but um, I was speaking to Phil about this earlier on. I know he's kind of not far off the same page as I am on it. But look, injuries are going to prevent this from happening. But doesn't Phil Coutinho look like a man who could do it a little step out as well? I mean. Uh, it's almost as if defenders have worked out uh, what he's about. And because he doesn't have pace about his game, he's got nothing to change it up with. And how many times have we seen the cut-in and, the, and the, the low trickling shot that goes wide, the forced through ball? And when those things aren't working, I mean, clearly the man's in it. He's got great football intelligence. Clearly he's a wonderful footballer. But he, he's pretty ineffectual of late. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, if you look at him now, I'm current form. If we had a fit eleven. He's not really in it, you know. He's not, he, and it's, it's, it pains me to say it, but he's not. But he is the type of player who does rely on kind of confidence. And as soon as these things start coming off, I think we'll see we'll see a better Coutinho again. I don't know, James. You might might have an opinion on this, but I th- I do think he misses storage in terms of I, I think him and storage have a great understanding. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's the type of yeah, player. Uh, that, sorry, yeah. sorry, James. Go ahead. No, no. Um, I think that's possibly one thing because obviously Sturridge is quick and you know he's um, he's very much a natural goal scorer, so he makes goal scorers run, so he's easy to provide for. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing is the system doesn't suit him. You know, I don't think playing wide left suits him. I think this as well because of the way that um, the way a fullback can defend against you. There, I mean, one of, one of Coutinho's great strengths, I think, is um, I mean, people people talk about him as being relatively strong for a side. I don't particularly agree. What I think is, I think he's quite tenacious and he, you know, and he works mm-hmm. relatively hard. But I think what what he's better at is just kind of shielding the ball and spinning with it. I mean, it was a, it was a noticeable thing when we played Everton at Anfield last year, and they were they were really trying to trying to sort of um, be quite aggressive with Coutinho in the early stages, and he just spun away from a load of challenges. Now that's easier done, I think, in the middle, and it is why because there's two ways you can go, and it's um, you know your um, your, your defensive player's got heads their bets a bit more. I think it suits him much more. And then the other thing is what we you know when he when he's in possession of the ball and away from pressure, he's got two directions in which he can pass. You know, I don't think that role suits him so well. I mean, I think really, if we had a stronger squad, Coutinho possibly wouldn't be a starting player in a four-three-three. Mm. Um, and if he was, he might even be in there as the most advanced of the central three. You know, the most the most kind of creative and the, the most kind of tactically free <laughs> with the right central midfielders alongside him. But I think he's more a player for a four-two-three-one. I think, in, in, you know, in the, in the sort of orthodox number ten role. Yeah, absolutely. Look, we need to look at the opposition as well and give them uh, due respect. We've already played Hull and we've seen how that went and it was a very unedifying experience. Phil, what is it that we need to change or what do we need to look out for when it comes to Hull uh, in the next match? Uh, we just need... And Christ, it's, it's, the, it's the part where we're suffering with the most injuries in terms of centre midfield, but we, just, we need to dominate 
their central two who are quite immobile in terms of Livermore and what's the big lad's name Huddleston yeah um, we, we just need to dominate those two if we dominate them you stop Hull playing um, we made we made Huddleston look like Yaya Torney the last day mm. we just need to stop him then th- the way you stop him is you play around him and he's not going to move around the pitch very quickly so it's, it's it, it, let him on the ball and give him time and space and he'll do what he did um, and we also need to be really good in terms of pr- defending against the transition because we were utterly shite at defending on the counter attack against Hull remember we gave away two scaldy goals there was the deflection off Skirtle's arse and then there was his wonderful headed on goal against Hull that day look I, I, I'm We've done Skirtle and Johnson to death today, but that, that two as a tandem have been a disaster area. Um, and if we played them against Hull, I'd be scared that they will potentially do something mad again. Um, and we just need a change. Hull, I don't think, pose much threats, as I said. Steve Bruce, parked the bus, hopes to nick something. There's nothing more than that. Like Genuinely, I can't even talk about the old game because I don't know how many players are going to have fit after the whole game. Mm. But Floody seems to have a knack, doesn't he, against Liverpool Bruce with the various teams he's been with. Whereas you see the interview he did after the game last night. I know uh, James has, has, has said, said before he's, he's got good time for, for Bruce because he's a decent enough kind of a lad. But, I mean, if you see the interview he did after a Man United game, it's like... Yeah, what are you going to do, Steve? Now, how are you feeling? Oh, I'm going to go home, kick the, kick the cat, and have a nice glass of red wine. And it's like, yeah, well, Man United beats. What are you going to do about it? But Jesus, he gets up and gets his team up for Liverpool. That's because that's he's an ex-United player. Yeah. That's well, clearly. In fairness to Bruce, he normally does set his teams up well. Yeah. Um, as, as Phil said, they come up hard the bus, but they're well drilled and they're well versed in what they do. Yeah. Um, and he makes things very, very difficult. I, I kind of disagree. When we went and played them a whole, I was quite surprised at how they approached the game. They, they didn't actually just sit and part the bus. They, they aggressively hunted down their midfield three. Um, yeah. I think Moiler was in the middle with the two lads. Yeah. But they, they pressed us high up the pitch. And what happened then was that the Sterling and uh, got isolated. Got isolated. The ball wasn't going up to them. So by the time the ball did get up to them, they, they, they had five just, at the back then to, yeah. to, to smother the, the, the tree that was up top. Exactly. I, and we weren't following up the play then. So he, he does seem to have the knack of doing that. Sorry. Yeah, work away, James. Go ahead, James. Yeah. Come Yeah. No, I was going to say what's interesting about the way Hull set up against us is they kind of. They were thrown by the storage injury. They carried on with the back three, and it worked on the day mm. um, because probably just, you know we just didn't have as many good players on the pitch without storage. Um, but uh, there was a thing. Sky Sports were were at Hull's training ground, you know, talking to Bruce and talking to the staff there and everything in the run up to that game. And he said, I mean, obviously, uh, presumably this this didn't this didn't air until after we played them. But I watched this recently, and they said, oh, you know, we're going with the three at the back because you know Liverpool will probably turn up with Suarez and Storage as two strikers. Now that didn't happen because Storage got injured on on the Friday before in training. So in the end, they played a system that kind of wasn't ideal for the way we set up. But obviously, they, um, you know, it, it worked on them the day because, I mean, they, they were, you know, they were very disciplined and, you know, we were, we were that poor. The other thing that's interesting about Hull, they've, um, they've got an identical defensive record to us. They've both, we both conceded 23 goals. So, you know, that doesn't make them the most obstinate kind of opposition for us now at Anfield because we're generally quite good at, you know, scoring a high number of goals and breaking teams down. But you know, it, it does show. I mean, they're, they're top half at the moment, so it shouldn't be that much of a surprise. But they're, you know, they're, they're as good defensively in terms of goals conceded as us, which is, you know, quite a, you know, sort of food for thought, really. Yeah, that uh, that interview you're talking about, James, that was aired. It was aired the morning of that game. Surprisingly enough, I remember looking at it, and it, they were expecting Liverpool to play yeah. two strikers, and uh, I think just by just by pure luck, and we talked about it yeah. after the whole game here. Actually, it just worked out a charm for them, and the stuff is playing. You probably expect to see them do it again. You know. Maybe. Right, yeah. Again, I know we haven't even touched on Oldham because, to be honest with you, 
like it's it's the FA Cup match and my feelings on, on the FA Cup this year is I couldn't give a shit about it the, the, the league has to be the, given where we are we're fifth in the league we're six points off top spot right and Champions League is the be all and end all and I, I, you can many old arses you want to talk about winning trophies and all but for, for, for us to remain as part of the top teams in England we need to get back into the Champions League and we need to do it this year because we're not we're not going to get a better chance we're, we're never going to get a better chance than this to get into the Champions League That's I was going to come across that and you've, you've, you've uh, preempted it perfectly there Phil the the, the Oldham game look um, so many things can happen in the game between then and, and, and now so let's not get too worried about it but in terms of the general thoughts that we have about it would we all row in behind that concept that Phil's after putting forward there that, look, at the end of the day, the league is priority. In fact, the league is all that matters. Kind yeah. of... I, I, sorry, you asked us, James. Yeah, go no, go ahead. Andy. Sorry, yeah, James, I cut across you there. Um, no, 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 I, it, was, it wasn't a lot more to say, yeah. Yeah, no, uh, I've had this argument with Phil lots of times about cups and, you know, I enjoy the days out at Wembley and it's, it's a great feeling to win things, but it's probably one season where I will kind of agree with him that we are, we have got a genuine chance of getting back into the Champions League and it's, it's kind of imperative we take it and maybe with the squad as thin, it, thin as it is, like we can see how how benefiting we are of not being in the Europa League and that so it probably wouldn't be the worst thing to be knocked out of the cup but probably not the best thing to get knocked out by all of them Floody would you like to see uh, uh, Rossiter and, and Smith and all these kind of guys make their make their uh, proper debuts have a really serious game and a really serious go in the, in the cup match I would definitely like to see two or three of them brought into the, brought into the team and start the day yeah. uh, you don't want to start throwing five or six lads in the deep end like, we should have enough lads to come in there as it is like, no, I'm just going to kick me here now but Aspas can come into that game mm. it's not great like, we've got Alberto to come into that game like, mm. we have got He's, he, he would, it'd be nice to see him get a start and see how he does Aspas wouldn't it, it, give him a full 90 minutes yeah. now I'm not knocking all of them, but we should be beating them. We should be beating them, even with a, with a weakened side, we should be still beating them. Mm. And we could actually see from them young lads, as we said earlier on, when, when Flanagan comes into the team, the effort, the amount of effort, that them lads will give effort. And that's what all of them will come with. That's basically what they'll come with, with effort. Wouldn't you match that? The football takes over after that. Yeah. Um, so I, I actually would like to see two or three of them maybe come into the side. Yeah. And if Alberto doesn't play in a match like that, he's not going to play, is he? He might as well get the... The next plan, take it home, you know. It's Look again. Glory as well. Sorry, James. Yeah. No, it's because I keep doing this because signal's not very good. Sorry. Sorry, mate. <laughs> uh, yeah, Laurie's another one because now we've got an injury at centre back as well, mm. and you know you don't really want to mess about risking, you know, both of your sort of what might be first choice centre backs in the cup game. You know, if one of them at all. So you know, again, if, if Laurie's not playing after sort of, I don't know, six months to acclimatise, yep. the only plausible reason maybe for not doing that is that. Who knows? You know, maybe we want him to not be cup tied if we want to loan him as an incentive for loaning clubs. But I would, re- I really wouldn't be thinking about that kind of thing at the moment. You know, I'd be thinking about you know, mm. keep other players out of the firing line in terms of getting injured against you know sort of lower league teams in mm. cup games because we may not for a long, long time with all the transition this season at other clubs get a better chance of finishing the top four. It's wide open. Yeah, yeah. and you know, we can't really we can't piss about. So that's right. my, I, yeah, I agree. Like, and despite all the injuries, if if you look at the signings that we made the, the, between Wednesday and Sunday, like you can still put out what would be more or less a signed eleven. And like I, one thing I didn't touch on when we were doing the Chelsea review, but like when he brought Brad Smith on, I was confused as to wouldn't would, that's where you'd want Jordan Ibe to come on. Hmm. 
because we've, he's, he's got first-team experience. Yeah. He played at the end of last season. He scored a goal. He played in pre-season. He's got a lot more first-team experience than, than a kid like, like Brad Smith. He looks bloody good. And he, he looks decent. And he looks a more physical version of Sterling as well in terms of when he has played. He, not that he potentially would have done any better than, than Smith that came on, but you, 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 would have, you would have fancied your chances to, to say, well, he'd be a bit more physical and a bit more robust to, to what's going to happen in the Premier League and not be as overawed to say someone like Brad Smith that's coming on. Like again, I'd say Hull, and we've got Jordan Oib, we've got Elory there, you've got Martin Kelly who needs games, you've got you know hopefully Skirtle is, is out, but you can play him in 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 the actual Oldham yeah. game. Um, you've got Alberto Aspas. You've got Alberto. You've got Aspas. You've got Gerard potentially Moses. coming back from from injury. Like it'd be better to see Gerard if he's not fully fit, starting the bench on Wednesday. That if you need to get him on to, for the last forty minutes to change the game, he's yeah. there to do it, and then give him ninety against Oldham so that he's fit to, to cover the actual injuries that are going on. You've got Sissoko there. You've potentially got Flanagan coming back from from the injury that he picked up. Like to me, it's it's not. There's enough bodies, there's enough players around to cover both matches. It's just a case of making sure that we take these three points against Hull and, and, and fuck the Oldham game, to be quite honest. like it's, it's, it's a bonus if we win it um, and we get through to the next round of the FA Cup. That's the way I see it at this stage. Well, given that it is going to be a lottery, the, 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 it being a cup game and us not knowing what the team is going to look like, let's just focus on Hull for predictions. Floody, how do you see it going? How do you see it finish? Um... I'd like to think that we we were comfortable two 0 winners, but we thought that going down the play hole down there as well. Um, it, it, it's always going with that old chestnut. The early goal is going, is going to open them up. The longer Bruce keeps things tight, the hole, the more difficult the game will get. Um, I'm going to be positive and say that we're going to win the game. We got score. I don't know. I'll take a one nil in off Aspas's Ersa or anyone's Ersa at this <laughs> stage just it, to get them three points. Absolutely, James. How do you call it? Uh, I just dread the prospect of dropping points. One nil. One nil. Okay, and Andy. Um, yeah, like hopefully get back to winning ways there. Um, I'm not too too dejected over the last two games. They were bonus points in my head anyway. I felt so. If they can just get back to where they were, and you know, there's there's three four three out of the next four games are at home in the league. So you just get back, get back winning, and. Like Hull did beat us okay, but it was a bit of a huff and puff performance and a lot of mistakes. If we can just get back to playing the way we were playing there, um, against even against City and Cardiff before that and Spurs, we should be winning that at Canter really. So I'm going to say we'll we'll beat them. Probably concede one, maybe three one. I happen to agree with you. I think uh, the last two games were the kind of if we got wins, if we got points. They're the kind of things that kept us in touch for what is possibly a pipe dream of being in the in the title race anyway. Yeah, like if the, if that's our bad run of the season, exactly. That's yeah. not that bad. That's not bad, is it? And it's the first time uh, Rogers' team has been beaten twice in a row as well. There's all sorts of interesting stats to take consolation from. Uh, Phil, how do you see it finish? I'd have to do my usual prediction: a seven 0 to hold. But the, on, on a serious note, um, I think it'll be. If we start Torrey Nagar, we'll keep a clean sheet. If we start Skirtland Johnson, we'll concede and we could potentially drop points. That's where I see it. Okay, right. So, time once again then for the section of the show in which we're reminded that the high level of crazy that's inherent in this show's makeup is also present in most of you lovely folk out there. It's your listeners' question. So, we'll start with a question from Owen. He's at Older Red and he asks When is enough Guinness enough? Uh, James Owens? I'm teetotal. 
I knew that, mate. I knew that. I'm a vegetarian. I'm a vegetarian. That's why. That's what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. A lot of Glenn Johnson questions coming in. Neb asks, where did the real Glenn Johnson go? Uh, at Craigard Painting, was a little more blunt. He said, uh, what can we do with Glenn apart from electroshock treatment to stop him from switching off? And I think there was a lot of other stuff as well. Um, what do we do with Glenn? Uh, we've touched on this a lot, but uh, Floody, I'll come to you straight away for a little uh, to-the-point answer. You sell him. You sell him, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, straight yeah. up. Fella took home 100 grand there yesterday. For that shite he gave us, mm. um, well, no problem, throw Rossiter in us right back. He's absolute. Like 100 grand yesterday. It baffles me. It baffles yeah. me. I think we just we, we, we leave him out for a few weeks, put Kelly in, and see if that gives him the quick up the hole that he needs. Because regardless whether he gets a new contract, signs a new contract or not, he should be. If, if he's playing for a move or whatever he wants to do, he needs to start showing a bit of form. Yeah, I totally with Phil on that one. Just, it might be just a kick, out, kick up the arse he needs. Yeah. Phil, you're in Dublin. You can go to one place for a drink. Where do you go? That's from Mark Simpson. Yeah, I'd go to the goat. Oh my god! What an odd message. <laughs> no, no, seriously, because I drink there anyway, so it's like oh yeah, yeah or to step in. But right. then that's that's me up the mountain, so it's right. well for me. It's Mulligan's me and, and a point, and I don't want any other fucker around me. So, um, what about you, Floody? Where would you go? Uh, it had to be the Laurels. Not village. The lens of Senior League pub. Oh yeah, in there with the boys. Andy. For me, it's what pubs to avoid. Uh, most <laughs> pubs are alright. Why is that? Andy? <laughs> yeah, uh, pot chain still for me. Pot chain still, lovely. Yeah. Jimmy Henry, he's at Red Till Dead. He says, "Being realistic, what are the three things that you would do to ensure a top four finish?" That's quite interesting, uh, Mr. Casey. Sign a defensive midfielder. Yes. Um, not play Gerard in centre midfield, yes. um, and drop Skirtland Johnson. Very nice. James, I'm going to give you that one as well. Three things to ensure top four finish. Um, yeah, don't, don't sort of, um, don't, don't pick key players in the Cups unless it's kind of, you know, unless it's uh, a bit of a prestige draw that we get, you know, United or an Everton or something like that. Um, you know, try and get people in as quickly as possible this month and, um, you know, don't really, don't leave any, any stone unturned. I think, if anything, it would probably be wise to sort of speculate to accumulate in this window in terms of the fact that, we, as I said, we may not get a better chance. So, in terms of bringing players in, it, it, this may be upheaval if you bring a lot of players in, but I think we need to get at least at least probably three in, you know, full-back, defensive midfielder, wide attacker. That'll do, that'll do. Noel Cahill asks, why were people so confident of a win yesterday after a tough game against City, trip to London, Chelsea had two home matches, they had an easy trip to Swansea. Andy, why was it that people were so upbeat and confident going into that game yesterday, do you think? I haven't a clue. I wasn't. Um, no, Mourinho's never lost at home. Mm. You know why? Why, why do people t- suddenly think we're going to turn Chelsea over? Like I certainly thought we'd kind of give a better performance. Like well, you know, I thought we we could play them off the park, but I thought a draw would have been you know a squeeze. I don't know where people were going with. Oh yeah, we win. Mm-hmm. I didn't think we'd win, and I said it on here, and I, I, I said it from last week on the pod, and. I was more disappointed with the City loss than I was with the Chelsea loss because I never thought we were going to win the Stamford Bridge. Fair enough. Uh, Marco Lopez, he asks, why should Liverpool FC fans be so negative about the future? <laughs> it actually ties in what we were just talking about. After th- those two games, especially when we've got January coming up and the p- possibility to change it. I, I, I just want to jump in there. I, I'm not negative about the future at all. I think if you put them those defeats into context uh, in terms of the run of games that we had and the number of points that we chalked up, there's nothing to be... Um, 
negative about. Yeah, we can be angry about the the manner in the in, the goal, in terms of the goals that we conceded, but there's there's no reason to be negative at all for, for in terms of what's going on. If anything, we've proven to ourselves that we can amass the amount of points that we need to get Champions League. All we need to do is apply ourselves and, and get a bit of luck with injuries, make a couple of good, decent signings in January, and we can deliver this. Fair enough. Uh, personal query here from Terry Clegg. He's at Routledge Editor and he asks, Floody, it's raining. I've got a day off. Should I sit in and read or should I go to the pub and read? Um, the closest thing I've ever read is in an audio book. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I suppose if, if you're going to read, you, you might as well sit in and read. If yeah. you're going to the pub, go to the pub and drink. Um, <laughs> Anyone that reads in the pub is a fucking sap. <laughs> <laughs> Straight into the hammer room with those. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that is fucking harsh. La- laptops and fucking newspapers are, you know, a book in a pub. Get up, get over there. Oh, what, what about what about what about sitting there with your with your iPhone in front of you and reading away there? Yeah, well, guilty of that, but yeah, in, yeah, in fairness, it is. It's bad for in a pub. It's bad there. form. You look at two lads sitting at the bar and they're both on their phones or whatever. You're going for fuck. So for you, sake. a pub is for simply drinking, having a crack, having, having a, a chat. chat, having a chat having with a the barman, having a chat with the lads. What about if you go on your own? Would you would you never just bring in a paper and read a paper in a pub? No. I'll Remember never drink on my own, it's a bit depressing. <laughs> no, that, that's, me, that's me told there, right? Uh, right, uh, this is a good one. Uh, I'll come straight to you, James, on this. This is from Nick at Mersey Boy Red, and he says, which Premier League ref is most urgently in need of binning or gulagging, he says. What do you reckon, James? Right, well, I've got a fucking good answer to this, because it's the next one after Mourinho's comments who wrongly penalises Suarez for diving. They can be put in the fucking stocks and then stuck on the train to Siberia. So the next one is weak enough, right, to, yeah. uh, to show any kind of response whatsoever to Mourinho's bollocks in the wake of yesterday when it was a clear penalty. Right. Whichever one that is, be it, the next, be it in a, to, um, on, on New Year's Day, be it in a week, a month, a year... Get them in the fucking bin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this one leads on uh, from there. And this Put them all in the bin. That's this, what I say. This in is, the gulags. This is, get robots. This is for you, Phil. This is from John Agerman. He says, do you consider that Jose is a quality friend for Brendan? Nope. In fact, Rogers should have gone all out in the press conference and fucking pointed out that, that Mourinho and his running down the line and everything like that was, was a disgrace and he should have started a feud with him because Mourinho loves a feud and it's time that Brendan drops the paddy paddy act with Mourinho and fucking because as soon as Mourinho sees Rodgers as a threat Mourinho would start the bad mountain of, of Rodgers just as Ferguson did and that's what, that's what happened between Ferguson and Mourinho they, they, they still say paddy paddy but there was bad mountain between them in the press it drives me mad when I see it because up until now Rodgers has been great in terms of dealing with other managers I don't like this party party act with Mourinho in fact I'd, I'd like a feud between the two it'd be interesting to see actually how Rodgers would deal with the mind games you know if Liverpool are invo- get themselves involved in a title race it'd be interesting to see because, yeah, because he is he is very very nice ok we're going to end that one out obviously yeah. thanks Phil yeah. um, right next one is from Jag Jag says which Star Wars character did you want to slap the shit out of uh, James Owens um <laughs> You picked the wrong man again. I'm not much of a Star Wars man, but I mean, um, <laughs> fucking hell, fella! Come on, come on. Uh, <laughs> What's your worst pay, uh, topple for a pizza? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I mean, yeah, George Jar Binks. I mean, the Phantom Menace is the only Star Wars film I've seen at the cinema. I, I was one of my mates was a big Star Wars fan. I wasn't really into it, but um, yeah, he was a titty. He was <laughs> uh, Phil Casey. Oh, my, my, my friend, my friend was as well. I mean, he's a complete moron, but yeah, you know, you live your life. <laughs> Fair enough. Phil Casey, sci-fi buff. Luke Skywalker. 
Yeah, me and all why. Oh, what a whingy little cry bitch. Yeah. He, him and his fucking... I, I, a cry bitch. Yeah, oh, he uh, was so, just such... Oh, I was hoping that Vader chop his head off in the first one. Like, seriously, he's just... For somebody who's meant to be the hero, the, oh... Just fucking moaning when he was in Dagobah and, and Yoda's trying to give him lessons. Just go and fuck <laughs> off, Luke. Seriously. I, if I was Yoda, I would have thrown him into the swamp, jumped into the X-Wing for it and me foot myself and just went off and did it and just said, listen, I'm going to die at the end of this anyway, I don't care. But what a bitch. Like, honestly, I just... Uh, I can't stand Luke Skywalker. I, honestly, I, if I was Darth Vader, even though it was my son, I would have chopped his head off for being such a bitch and, and, and at the bottom of Cloud City. This is easily the most uh, motivated we've seen Phil all evening. It's quite nice. El Scouse asks, if cubes were outlawed, what would be your preferred shape frozen water beverage temperature controllers? <laughs> Which is quite mouthful. Any ideas on that? Yeah. Do, has anyone ever had those plastic cube cube balls that you put into your freezer and they freeze and you drop them into your glass? Oh, it's it's a real mid nineties thing that used to be there. Yeah, that's the it's it's the easy one. I know they had they had um sort of ice trays and liver boards and all that. That's too much effort. Just get the cube balls and you can, <laughs> and you can keep using them. If you could pick any period of history in which to be born, this is from Grey. Which period would you pick and why? Everyone's avoiding my gaze here. Oh, Andy's up. Uh, 2090. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's this, this serious problem with that in that it's not history. <laughs> uh, sorry, to, sorry to be a picky that was bastard. A bit, that was a bit of a fail answer, wasn't it? <laughs> All right, what, go on, give us the reason why you want to be born in the future rather than... <laughs> I would have, uh, no, I would have liked it to be born maybe uh, in the 70s to enjoy the 80s a bit better. I think I, like, I was born in 1981, you know, and I think I missed out on a lot just kind of growing up in that time. So a nice Liverpool-centric yeah. answer there. I like that, that's yeah. good, that's good. I, I, I probably would have gone for the Roman times. As a Roman. No, I wouldn't want to be in the Senate now, I would have preferred to be like a, one of the centurions. Out with a fucking sword and a dress and everything, fighting like mad. <laughs> sword and a dress. <laughs> yeah, you know. Our stuff calls it Friday night. Philomena. Definitely, definitely. The Roman times, man. Rocked. Uh, James, you want to finish us out in this one? I, I really want. I, I mean, the history the, is, is the, the one that kills it for me because I'd, I'd love to just be born at a time in the future where no one has to kind of like, you know, work and just, you know. <laughs> Yeah, technology in society is just a lot more advanced, and there's it's a lot going around your flying car and stuff like that. Like, um, <laughs> in terms, of, in terms of history, in terms of history, um, I, I don't know. Prob- probably an age where you kind of get older, just I don't know, a few years younger than a few years older than I am, where you know maybe um, to sort of get in before the the world's sort of financial meltdown I suppose so you get all the benefits of being alive with all the technology and medicine and everything we got now but you know maybe just uh, at, a, at a better age when it all went tits up economically I suppose <laughs> fair it's enough all provoking. fair enough that's lovely yeah swords uh, right Dresses. let's feathery helmets shields I'm just going to wait till he's finished here battalions you just <laughs> bear with me listeners he's nearly done and we're out I'm all right. Uh, right. Uh, Caesar. Oh, fucking hell. Thickest, thickest. Thickest, 
Thanks as always to the lovely folk here at Astro Park who provided us with a base from which to create the weekly nonsense which we call the Day Trippers podcast. This is Dublin's finest five-a-side venue and a marvellous facility. You should check them out on www.astropark.ie. Worthy of a mention, especially for new listeners, are the mighty Johnny Rep who provide our rocking intro music as you get on them on iTunes and all respectable record stores. Don't forget also to get your tickets in for the Anatomy of Liverpool Night with Jonathan Wilson on January 12th. Tickets are still available at www.eventbrite.com. Get on that, it'll be a belter of a night. And we'll have uh, we'll be there if you have any issues and you'd like to sort out uh, Casey. You can always come over and, and, and do that. If you want to win two tickets, we'll have a little question for you which we'll publish on Liverpool Ways and Day Trippers and also on Beyond the Cop as well. Now, as mentioned earlier, the answer to the messy question was the excellent 30 for 30 documentary, Unmatched. And we have a winner, the chosen winner, and it is Paddy Burton, isn't it? Yeah, it's Paddy Burton. Okay, so Paddy will be uh, getting on to you and getting your details and sending that book out to yourself. And finally, don't forget, five times are bringing Didi Man and Jamie Carragher over to uh, Ireland in February. It should be a great night. We've got tickets for that as well to give away, and we'll be launching a competition for that in the middle of January, so keep your ears peeled. And finally, thanks to Connor from the Final Third podcast for giving us his thoughts this evening. Uh, your day trippers tonight were Phil Casey, Damien Flood, Andy Young, James Owens, and myself, Trev Downey. We'll speak to you next week. Time to fire up the grill. Time to go to Total Wine and find the perfect flavor to pair with those burgers. Ooh, I love their beer cooler. <laughs> you love their prices even more. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and more. Hey, don't forget the Johnsons are coming over. I want to find a rosé Jill hasn't tried yet. Let's go exploring at Total Wine. Their prices are ridiculously low. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, always low prices. Total Wine and more. Sports Social Podcast Network.